not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pump Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Winningle and today I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Bucknell and Laura Perry. Hi Kay, how are you? Hi Kay. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about the hot topic of energy networks in Australia, what they are and some of the issues that affect electricity distribution. The recent Finkel report highlighted the problems with energy security and the fragility of the electricity network. Energy Networks Australia recently released a report called the Electricity Network Transformation Roadmap focusing on these issues. We'll discuss that and a lot more even bravely fronting the mystifying topic of how blockchain works in the energy market. To guide us through, uh, as our guest today, we have Dr Stuart Johnston, the Executive Director of Assets and Network Transformation at Energy Networks Australia. Welcome, Stuart, and thanks for joining us today. Hello. How are you? Good, thanks. Good to have you. Now, Stuart, firstly, can you tell us what Energy Networks Australia does? Energy Networks Australia represents Australia's uh, electricity transmission uh, and distribution networks, plus also the gas distribution network, and its members uh, provide virtually energy to every household and business in Australia. So can you explain what your role is in the network transformation, the history behind that role? My role at Energy Networks Australia is in regard to the policy and advocacy on issues of critical importance to network transformation and also asset management. The asset management side around the key technical um, issues such as standards, guidelines, network safety and security of supply and things like power quality and peak energy demand. But in the transformational space, it's more around how do we actually uh, manage and change the transformation required from where our energy system is now to where it needs to be um, in 10 years' time to actually manage all the different issues that are actually facing us. So what are these issues that are facing you at the moment? Or us, in fact? Some of the key issues that are are actually facing us are, as most people are aware, there's a, a big change in the energy mix and the generation, which used to be traditionally placed at the top end of the system, so um, up in the transmission area, and it would be a one-way flow down to the, to the customer at the bottom end, is changing rapidly. And we're now getting more and more generation at the bottom end of the system, which is ending up uh, where we had a system that was designed for a one-way flow. We now have to um, try and redesign that to actually create uh, that two-way flow so that we can actually manage some of the, the, the issues going forward, but also provide all these new products and services going forward as well. Stuart, does the ENA have a vision for the future of how this transformation might end up, where, what our energy networks might look like in the future? Uh, yes, we do. Basically, because of that need for action, so obviously we, um, the network businesses actually identified there was an issue there um, in terms of what was happening to them in terms of the businesses, how that was actually focusing, and decided that we needed to actually take um, ownership of this. And so they approached Energy Networks Australia to, um, to look at 
could we actually come up with a plan or a roadmap to actually uh, map out that transition and actually trying to find a pathway through, which we then take back out to other key stakeholders across the industry and actually work with them to actually enable. Um, as part of that, we actually partnered, um, looked at partnering with uh, CSIRO, which is Australia's peak uh, science agency, to actually look at actually uh, developing that, that roadmap. It ended up being a two-year piece of, of, of work that we did with, with CSIRO and uh, has produced a comprehensive plan to keep the lights on, bills affordable, but also at the same time decarbonise the electricity sector. We actually found, uh, we looked at uh, having a coordinated approach to these changes in the energy system and if we actually do that in that way, we can actually deliver more choice for Australian energy customers but while also maintaining system security and meeting some of those international climate change commitments that we're actually facing. Well, so it's very uh, wide-ranging, Stuart. So when you talk about a coordinated approach, who would be doing the coordinating and, 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 who's, <laughs> and who's being coordinated? Obviously, uh, the whole idea is actually to try and get everyone actually working together around this. So each of the different key actors out there have got a key part to play. So networks themselves will provide the platform of the future. So I suppose so we're the natural middle person for this, but we also need to actually make sure that we're actually bringing the, the customer along and actually making sure that this whatever we design is actually for the customer at the bottom end. We're actually working with the regulators and also the government because they're setting the policy, policy settings. And we're also working with other key stakeholders like like um, uh, the Clean Energy Council. We're working with the Australian Energy Council or the uh, Energy Consumers Australia who are representing some of those key, key factors to make sure that what we actually look at and design was actually um, uh, meeting their requirements as well and the, and the people that they actually work for. There's also going to be a whole lot of other, instead of just being the traditional um, players in the market going forward, there's going to be all these new, new third parties coming in who are going to be offering new, new ways of doing, doing things, like there's companies like GreenSync out there at the moment, Reposit, et cetera, et cetera, which are all great. And so we also need to actually create that platform to allow them to come in and actually uh, provide those products and services, but in a safe way. Mm. So how has the roadmap been received, Stuart? The roadmap was received really, really well. The reason for that was, I suppose, the first part was it was done over a two-year period and it was actually evidence-based in terms of what we actually did. So sitting under the report, we've actually got another um, 19 expert reports that um, with uh, huge amounts of modelling and, and requirements. And we actually weren't just looking at experts from in Australia. We actually went out to uh, experts in the United States and the UK as well to help us identify what's the key issues and things like that and, and directions going forward. But we also did this, we actually co-designed this with all the uh, other key stakeholders across the industry. So we had over um, 300 people come to all of the different workshops that we actually held throughout this process. We then had major workshops which we actually then took different components of this all the way through to make sure that they were part of it and they actually felt like they were actually contributing and, and reviewing some of the things that were actually coming out on this. Yes, yeah, so it was a wide-ranging piece of work. And Stuart, did you also work with AEMO and in what way? So we had all of the key market bodies come along to as through the through the roadmap process. So we had obviously AEMO. Uh, we also had uh, representatives out of the Australian Energy Market Commission or the AEMC, uh, the AER, and also Arena was there as well as the uh, Renewable Energy Agency for looking around projects. Mm. Um, I suppose our closest relationship, I suppose, was with the Australian Energy Market Operator because they actually are the operator of the system. Uh, and we've, now that we've actually completed the roadmap 
and we're now into the implementation phase. We're actually um, working very closely with them. We've actually got an agreement to actually look at some of the key aspects of the of the roadmap and actually working with them to take that forward. We just ran a, a, a recent workshop with Arena to actually look at how can we actually solve some of the little, the technical issues that we've identified out there in the in the in the um, in the system and actually got a whole lot of key stakeholders from around the place together to, and, and brains to come and think about that, brainstorm some ideas uh, which we're now coalescing into projects which ARENA will fund to try and solve some of those issues. So it's been really key to, to actually work with some of those key, key bodies. And you also talk about the network maps that are of interest and hopefully we'll get a bit of time to talk about them later on in the show. But in the report, you stated that by 2027, two out of every five customers will use their own energy resources and that by 2050, 35% of all electricity will be generated by customers using rooftop solar and battery storage. So you focus on energy security and reliability for customers, which you mentioned earlier, and you also achieve zero emissions by 2050, and that's fantastic. But you also recommend that networks pay distributed energy resources customers over 2.5 billion dollars per annum for grid support services by 2050 can you explain that a little bit more we're very aware that there's going to be more and more dr or sorry um distributed energy resources going down to the bottom end of the system so by distributed you really mean renewable energy yep Correct. Um, so it'll be things like, um, obviously, household PV with battery systems. It could be small-scale wind at the, the lower end of the systems, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it also, the other aspects as part of this is actually building it for things like um, EVs, actually bringing electric vehicles into the system and how we actually um, manage and run those because they will also contribute because they've, they've got batteries within themselves, how they're actually going to uh, sit within the system and, 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 and work. Um, so we're identifying that there's going to be that change, but to enable that, if we actually left them the grid of the way it is at the moment, um, we'd actually be constraining the, constraining those those customers. They wouldn't be able to use the the the, uh, the those resources in, in in other ways besides just for their own power. They, they'd have to um, they couldn't sell that back any excess they had back into the system or get and they'd have other issues that could could be constraining down there. So what we're looking at here is how can we actually redesign that bottom end of the system to allow the customers to get the best value out of the investment they're actually putting into at that, 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 that bottom end. So you're looking at, um, so how can we actually orchestrate some of that to actually provide some of that grid support uh, mechanism? So that's where the, we're actually be, instead of uh, the networks actually building new poles and wires down at that bottom end, uh, we'd actually be paying for uh, system support uh, so things for, for things like um, uh, reliability and things for um, voltage and, and frequency uh, support etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, we can actually buy that from the customer and they actually get some value from that so that so you basically it's the best way to capitalize on people's solar PV and things like that by yeah. utilizing those aspects of the network rather than putting in new infrastructure is that what you're saying very much so so because people will want to use that that 
to actually uh, move, still move power around the system. So there'll probably end up being two markets. One's going to be for a, like a, a security market to actually making sure you're managing constraints, which the networks will run. And then you'll have the energy market, which will sit over the top of that. So uh, the whole idea is that the networks would pay for, for those services to help us manage the network in a better way and, 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 and mean we don't have to actually build as much or invest as much in terms of the poles and wires side of things uh, going forward. But, um, and then that would then, by doing that and, and actually optimising the system, you'll then allow, allow people to then to utilise that platform as a, as, a, as a trading platform for energy. And so therefore they can actually then trade to other people. Um, so you can actually do that at the local level rather than um, into the wholesale market. But they can do either or. Okay, well that leads in nicely to our next topic, but before we start on that, um, if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Dr Stuart Johnston from ENA about their report called the Electricity Network Transformation Roadmap, which sets out scenarios for electricity generation and networks through to 2050. So Stuart, you've just been talking about orchestrating distributed energy resources in an effective way and using good mechanisms for enabling you know, new forms of, of trading of energy than, than what we've seen in the past. So is this where a mechanism like blockchain comes in? <laughs> um, it, it does, yes. So can, can you uh, describe thought... to us you know, in uh, as simple language as you can manage essentially how blockchain works? I can. Um, um, blockchain is a, oh, it's a whole interesting concept, I suppose. Um, and blockchain is the concept behind the Bitcoin uh, digital currency. Uh, it's like that virtual genetic code. It is a digital public peer-to-peer decentralised data set which records every transaction uh, between two connected nodes in a ledger. Uh, each transaction is then added to the data set as a new block which results in a full record of all transactions being made between two parties. Uh, no one person or company owns or controls this data set, which is, which is good. So it becomes more of a, um, uh, at, the, at the lower level. While blockchain may be uh, set up as a private network with authorised access uh, by a bank or something like that, it most often, and the best designs around this, is often public, open, global infrastructure upon which the technologies and applications can be built. From an energy perspective, the blockchain could actually be very, very useful in actually enabling some of the things we were actually talking around around peer-to-peer trading. In the short term, the major opportunities will be centred around that relationship between the distributed energy resources and peer-to-peer trading. So if someone can actually trade, if they've got excess power in their system and a neighbour over the other thing doesn't have um, DER, they could actually come up with an agreement to actually sell their excess power to, the, to a person across the road. However, it doesn't have to just stay there around that sort of issue. It can actually be identified for potential use for bill paying or we have Bitcoin bill paying or trading, EV charging and sharing, uh, particularly if we end up with go to smart cities going forward. You can actually use it for re- renewable cryptocurrencies or wholesale trading and settlement and the creation of consortia around, around those uh, at, the, at the larger scale. Okay, so this so has the potential to deliver savings to customers by giving them more choice and control over their distributed energy resources, I suppose. Uh, can you just clear up for me a little bit uh, between the peer-to-peer trading, seeing as uh, energy doesn't necessarily move through poles and wires the same way that bo- blockchain can transfer, are we actually trading the energy or is it a credit or a kilowatt figure? How how does a trade actually happen? Yeah, so the whole idea would be your exact electrons that you're, you're generating won't go all the way to that, that person's house. 
but you're putting those electrons into the into the system so that'll be metered you see how much is actually going into the system and then you can actually then the person over there could actually be buying that and so they'd be buying it directly from from you in terms of what you're putting into the system but and they would then take that out of the system so is there an energy re- an energy reduction in that sense are we using less energy or are we just moving um, it around certainly there will be i suppose I'm not saying it's going to be less energy, but it'll be a more efficient way of using it. And so it's actually using it within the, the community that you're actually... Uh, um, so instead of the energy moving all the way up into the wholesale level and they're not coming all the way back down again, it may just stay within the, within the distribution system at, um, at that level. So the whole idea is that um, the, the generation generates in, uh, there won't be... Uh, into the into the distribution system, but then it's being sucked back out of the distribution system at the same time, so it balances out a lot more down at that bottom level, which means we need to actually have a platform down there that can actually orchestrate and manage um, all those different issues at that, that, that local level, and we can actually manage some of the issues around variability and multidirectional flow patterns at that bottom level part of the system, which hasn't been designed for in the past. Stuart, I understand there's a number of trials around the world and also in Australia... Um, using this technology. Can you tell us a little bit about the one in Western Australia? Yes, you're talking about the one over there with Powerledger. Powerledger, that's right, um, Bustleton. They were actually doing a major uh, a trial with Origin and they're looking at that peer-to-peer trading uh, presents an opportunity to unlock what they're... Tr- to make the consumers over in that area allow consumers more control of their purchasing rights. It's only a very small trial at this stage. I've I think the last time I was talking to them about this, it was about 20 households in a clubhouse have been fitted with, um, I don't want to go into Raspberry Pi and mini computers to oh, track yeah. their energy usage, but also some, um, some other developers. But the whole idea is that they're actually trying out there to, to allow the residents to trade electricity amongst themselves at a price uh, greater than the available feed-in tariffs. Um, to see how, the, how it would actually work. Do they like it? Is there incentives more for, for then other part, parts of the, of the community over there to develop and install PV, uh, et cetera, et cetera? The power ledger allows for each of the unit of electricity to be tracked and, and uh, from the point of generation to the point of consumption within the building is generated. So the trial so far and some of the things that there's, it shows some really, really good results so far. My understanding is they're, they're looking at extending that now because of the great outcomes that have come from that and they're looking at actually extending it to a larger larger part of that, that actual community. Okay. So how does it work? I've got a bit of excess energy and I decide I can share that with my neighbour. Do I just make that available at any one uh, time or how does that work? Yeah, but it still has to be... The whole idea is you have to then track the energy. So the whole idea is you'll need to actually put a device on your uh, property which will actually track how much you're generating or energy actually you're... you're, and then you're putting into the system. And then vice versa on the other side, you'd be tracking the energy usage that the the person... So that would be buying a certain amount of power for their system and then you'd be tracking and matching that on their side, then they would actually just be... You'd be putting that up onto into the market at a certain price. They would look at that, see what their energy usage is, what they need, and then they could actually then just quickly buy that, um, look at that, and then buy that off the system. So in, in Victoria, we've got smart meters, so that's easy, but you're saying in Bustleton they're using strawberry pies or some computers to do that, and that's what you'd need. But it'd have to be an automated process, wouldn't it, in terms of... You wouldn't want to be sitting there trying to trade power all the time manually. No, it, 
It definitely, that, and again, that goes back to what we need to do with the grid itself. We need to modernise the grid to allow some of these, these issues to happen. You want these to actually be automated. So it's not only just for allowing this activity to actually occur, but we also need it to allow us to actually self-optimise or self-heal the system if there's a constraint that comes on the, on the, on the system because everything's going to have to happen in real time and so there'll have to be access to data in the real time so that depending on how much power's in the system, that the, the power may fluctuate so people may descend to buy or, or sell at different times of the day. If there's a constraint on the system, the network needs to be able to identify where it's got, a, got a, um, agreements, where that sorry, where that uh, constraint is, and then be able to source from customers or from a third party, whatever it is, or an aggregator, uh, powered or, um, or services uh, directly in the system to actually uh, rectify that, that in, in, in an uh, automatic way as well. So we're looking at probably having some decentralised control. So instead of having an overarching um, controller for some of these areas, we'd have decentralised control at that bottom level to actually manage some of these, these, er- these issues. So blockchain is essentially providing the platform for tracking all of these um, transactions and the smart contracts and the the controls uh, around balancing all of these things. Is that right? Yeah. So that that's correct. So so one's going to uh, that um, the the blockchain is is basically the commercial side of of of. Uh, transaction for power, and then you'd have a second uh, system which would be underneath that, which is actually the, the system itself moving around and actually managing the power, um, and which would be done by the, by the network itself in terms of uh, managing power flows, managing where and balancing the system to make sure that, that the trading platform which sits on top of that can actually work. Okay, so what are the current limitations on the use of blockchain for energy transactions? Some of the limitations are at the moment are that the networks themselves uh, have some limitations. We don't have so some are they of physical the physical limitations or regulatory. Some of it's a little bit of both. Right. Um, in terms of physical, it's not so much that um, we don't we need more poles and wires down there. We don't. However, we do need to have more ability to actually monitor the system down there. So we need probably some more things around control systems, issues around uh, data management, because the data will have to be moving in real time to enable people to actually react to systems and those sort of components. What does that mean in terms of cybersecurity as well? So how do we actually secure all that? but if we're talking about monitoring, we need to actually identify where we have sensors in different places to identify where those constraints are on the system so it can actually uh, react to those, which will then help the control systems to then manage those. So that's that. So we'll need all those smarter monitoring operations down at that bottom level, which will need to be built over the next uh, three or four years into the system to, to allow this to happen in, in larger scale. So what's the sort of time horizon for, for this kind of technology, Stuart? Well, the technology's already out there. It's just allowing us to actually work out where it needs to be, what's the optimal around this. So you don't over-invest over in the system. You actually make sure where the sensing needs to be, where it needs to, to require. How do you actually then design firewalls and things like that from a cybersecurity perspective so, where, so data can go? Where do you actually put those data warehouses? Where do they sit? How do you actually manage that going forward to make sure, sure you actually keep privacy but you're also doing enough so that we can actually allow people to trade and, and use the system as well? And then... From that, it's not only just at that bottom level, but then what does that mean for the wholesale system above that? So at the moment, uh, AEMO has no visibility of anything in the, in, the, in the distribution system at the moment. So how do we actually allow them to 
have that visibility down into the bottom system. So what data do they need? How do we actually manage that to facilitate that okay. so that they can then manage the wholesale market a lot better? Okay, terrific. Thank you, Stuart. Look, if listeners want to find out more, they can Google Energy Networks Australia or Blockchain and Energy and there's a wealth of information. So thank you for your time, Stuart. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you very much for having us. We've been speaking to Dr Stuart Johnston from Energy Networks Australia about the report called Electricity Network Transformation Roadmap. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. And if you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and would like to donate, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we hope we'll catch you again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.